themselves are dishonorable. Enough already with this gay Christian stuff. And, and I don't just say enough already. I, I don't mean this in the sense of, you know, they're over there and I'm over here. I mean this in the, in, in the pastoral sense. How cruel is that? If a man comes to me talking about a desire for a woman who is not his wife. I'm not going to tell him to just go ahead and embrace the desire because the desire in and of itself is okay. It's not. Well, God bless you. Welcome to Prophetic Whispers. This is Elias Flores. And I know it's been a little minute, man. Uh, life has been moving really, really quick here. And so uh, it's so great to get behind the mic once again and really discuss uh, some of the things that, that um, need to be addressed because of the lack of doctrinal perspectives um, that that are permeating through our pulpits uh, and the embracing of the culture and, and uh, especially the things that are that are really coming out, you know, within our culture. Uh, it's in our face now. Um, it's and many Christians are really don't have a uh, an apologetic for it. Uh, and, and apologetic, I don't mean, you know, that we say, I'm sorry, you know, apologize. No, but it's it's to give a defense, you know, and to pull down a stronghold uh, in every argument that rises against the knowledge of God, you know. And, and so, um, again, we're talking about, you know, enough with this gay Christianity with this embracing of my, you know, uh, how cruel is it? And, and uh, how mean is is God that a loving God wouldn't do, do uh, send anybody to hell? And, and this narrative that, that's been misconstrued by the media, by the culture, by education, by, um, by the medical, by the medical pharmaceutical uh, companies um, that they push this message of homosexuality and normalizing it in society. And um, we saw this recently at the uh, Dodger Stadium where 5,000, 5,000 uh, Catholics came out to protest and really shut down the um, this drag queen uh, mockery of the symbols of Catholicism and the crucifixion and and all that uh, is sacred to the Catholic Church and from the biblical pr perspectives, all things God they wanted to get rid of. And so many, many in the church uh, don't have an answer for this. And how do we theologically um, get around to saying enough, enough of this? You know, first of all, I, I, I believe that every Christian needs to become a biblical uh, Christian. In other words, that you you understand your Bible and you understand uh, God's perspectives. And uh, I kind of want want to just open up with with just a few little um, say doctrinal perspectives that we find in, in in Malachi that that will help solidify it'll help solidify our perspectives on God. Number one, God. Let's let's talk about God. You know. Uh, our theos, the one we worship, the one we serve, the one we acknowledge, um, and and to keep him high above everything else. And um, because part of the arguments of the day is God has changed. He's changed his perspectives, that uh, the scriptures are antiquated, that God's antiquated, that that uh, Paul didn't understand uh, the the society. And Paul, Paul doesn't understand pederasty, and, and uh, he doesn't understand the complexity of modern man. And, and so all these, all these humanistic ideas that Paul writes about in Romans, we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of frame in there. But theologically, me, meaning that my biblical worldview is founded in scriptures, okay, founded in scriptures. It's founded in this ancient writings of the Bible and uh, the accuracy of the Bible, 
And if we don't stay there, then you're going to you're going to end up in a desert wandering with all these theories and the philosophies of man. And so we want to stay biblically grounded. And what does the Bible really say about homosexuality and the queering of our nation and the feminizing of our men and the sexual destruction of man and woman that has been pushed into our culture where the church has now embraced, you know, the Episcopalian church, the Methodists, the, I mean, the... Uh, the Methodists, the Lutherans, they all are okay. The the Southern Baptist Convention has embraced LGBTQ uh, ideology. Okay, this is important because you you seem like an outlier if you stand on God's word and what God says because you're not progressive, you're not loving, you're not kind, you're not you're all the isms. So we're gonna we're gonna nail this down in this podcast a little bit for you and and uh, take a biblical worldview and really take a look at the text and some historical facts. So first of all, let's establish something. Malachi six uh, Malachi three six through eight says this: For I am the Lord and I don't change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet the days of your fathers. You have gone away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, uh, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way have shall we return? How? Why we don't? We didn't leave. We didn't even realize we left. That's the consciousness of the church today, as they progress beyond the Bible. They progress beyond biblical thinking, and they become they become uh, culturally relevant, embracing all the ways of a sinful man. Okay, this, this is we don't even. Realize that we left. How do we leave? You know, you have you have Andy Stanley getting up there saying that that the straights and the gays need to come together and build a church. We'd have we'd have standing room only, as if the church is a business and not a body. You you listen to these these conformists. You listen. They're no longer preachers. They're conformists. These are and these were once well known evangelicals, and we don't even know what that means anymore. Those that that um, that evangelize the world. So when you start saying that I am the Lord and I don't change, meaning that He does not change, and and therefore you are the one that changed, and 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 so many Christians have changed their positions, holiness, unrighteousness, things of moral values. Many Christians have changed their positions. Why would we change our positions? If God's word never stopped reading the way it does, that means that we have stopped reading God's word. That means that we have now uh, adopted humanistic ideas, not biblical ideas uh, about marriage, about humanity, about man and woman and children. We are we are looking at, we are looking at such a such a um, dark time where. When the Lord says he does, he has not changed, and it is us that have left, it's us that have changed, then we need to start getting right back down to the, the fundamentals. And again, when we start looking at, at enough with this gay stuff, enough with this queering of the church, enough with this tolerance, enough with this. We're not tolerant anymore. In fact, um, we are not inclusive. We are an exclusive body that if you follow me, if you follow me, you got to follow him. You got to follow the word. You got to, I mean, it's, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And Matthew Vines, you know, Matthew Vines found so much, so much hatred in the church. And he's one of the gay, gay, uh, gay theologians. Matthew Vines, look him up. They, uh, you can, you can YouTube him and, and see how he found true liberation in how the, how we have interpreted the scriptures so wrong for so long. And it has excluded people and it's cruel. You can also look at you could also look at some of the scholars from uh, let's say uh, uh, Dr. J. Michelson. You know he writes this and it says our New Testament scholar has written that any interpretation of Scripture that hurts people, oppresses people, or destroys people uh, cannot be right the right interpretation, no matter how traditional or historical or exegetical and respectable it is. 
This is a cruel point. If we approach the question of homosexual homosexuality as a legal, academic, or hermeneutical enterprise, we will get nowhere religiously. In other words, it's about pleasing people. It's not about reading the text with integrity. It's not about all that. Because don't forget, if you read that before, that God doesn't has not changed, then it's cruel and it's wrong. You need to change that, that God has changed his perspectives because of society. Society is requiring that we change. And so we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at a biblical perspective. Okay. What the Bible says about this. And here's a framework to look through. Malachi 3, 6 through 8, he talks about, I am the Lord and I don't change. When you look at Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 18, is um, the, writer of, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. And he uses Abraham because Abraham is central to the father of faith. He is called the father of faith in Hebrews 11. He is a main character. He's a father figure. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are fathers of faith. Those are, those are the ones that generated the body. There's the one that generated the 12 tribes of Israel. It all comes, this, these, are, these are key factors, okay? These are key factors in, in historical biblical perspectives. So here Hebrews uses Abraham, okay, as, as an example to, the, to teach us about God. He says, for, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessings I will bless you, multiply and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, the word patient means to sit under after he sat under it. And we all know about all about uh, Abraham's failures about patiently enduring <laughs> through that time. He obtained the promise for men indeed swear by a greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. Thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of his promise, the immutability of his counsel. Immutability. Okay. This word immutability is key because it latches onto the character of God that Malachi says uh, is is who God is. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. This, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews uses the word immutability. In other words, I don't matric matriculate through time. I don't, I'm not changing with time. Time doesn't change me. And my promises were true then, they are true now because I don't mutate. I don't transfer. I don't transfer into time. I don't transfer, I am. I am, okay? I'm unalterable. That's what immutability means. You can't alter me. That's why it says it's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. Why? Because he's all truth. He can, he doesn't translate. He doesn't move. He doesn't, he doesn't carry into something else. And so when you and I begin to look at the immutability of God, that God doesn't change, his perspectives do not change, then we approach the Bible correctly. We begin to attack this, this perspective of homosexuality correctly. And one of the things that I found very interesting about this, because again, I remember there, there was a, there was a uh, you can look this up for yourself, um, Miley Cyrus, you know, the, 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 the worldly, uh, you know, secular singer that, that sings all kinds of crazy, perverse stuff. Um, Miley Cyrus, she said this in in a uh, in an interview with Axios, I believe, or one of the one of the pop rock music things, is that the, we got to get people away from the Bible because the Bible is full of of false stories or fairy tales. They call them fairy tales. Many people you'll hear you'll hear uh, when they start talking about the Bible that the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales. Okay, bunch of fairy tales. Well, let me let me give you a you know, and Sodom and Gomorrah didn't exist, and Noah's and the Ark, Noah's Ark didn't exist, and and uh, it never happened. Those are just made up. The 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 big fish, you know, uh, Jonah and the whale didn't exist, and and you have all these mythologies in which they label the Bible with. They they. they possibly couldn't exist the crossing of the red sea all those things couldn't exist you know the acts of, of the the axe head not floating like like elijah said you know all all these type of all these type of uh, naysayers against the bible 
Well, I turned around here and I just recently, I, I got into this, uh, the discovery of the city of Sodom. And here, here's an interesting perspective here, okay? It says this, if either, this is Dr. Collins, okay? Now, Dr. Dr. Stephen Collins and Dr. Latanya C. Scott, I recommend you get this book. This is recent, this is recent discovery of Sodom and Gomorrah as of 2013. So we, we have this evidence. Now, why isn't it getting out? Why isn't this getting out? Because this destroys, this destroys the homosexual church relationship. This, this destroys the gay movement, the LGBTQ, on the church and God's perspective and, and uh, this LGBTQ. It destroys the narrative that's going on right now in the church. Because now we're not looking at Sodom and Gomorrah as some mythical story. We have the evidential facts right here. It says this, in either approach, it is necessary to find the site that would explain the origin of Sodom's narratives and just possibly one that produces evidence that the, the, that the narration, as it appears in the Bible, may not be dis, um, discon, disconnected from the historical reality after all. This is what the author of this book has done. He connected the historical facts with exactly what the Bible says. And the wonderful journey of this, okay, because later, later in this verse, he connected, he connected the gate, okay, of, of Genesis chapter 19, where Lot met, met the angels of the Lord, according to the historical writings. That gate is discovered. And in this book, they show pictures of the gate of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, the ones in which the angel of the Lord, the two angels met, or the two men that were angels, they met Lot at the gate and Lot met them at the gate. We'll, we'll discuss a little bit of that a little bit later as we move on. So here you have now the, histor the historical Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the artifacts, and they're turning them up in fact, when you when you start looking at this this uh, perspective of the evidence, they have the molten lava. They have meteors from heaven. They have all these all these unexplained humanly um, artifacts, archaeological finds about Sodom and Gomorrah. There, from from pottery to the gates, and you know so much more that confirm the right the right land, the right time, the right place, then the right God. And we have to, we have to push into this. We have to push into this. We have to sit there and say, if this was God's perspective and we have the evidence that fire from heaven fell, meteors from heaven fell to destroy this ungodly, these ungodly people in which that they hated God. We, we need to start paying attention and we need to fix our narratives. And so when you start looking at Abraham, that God gave Abraham a promise and because he's immutable, how he views things, how he sees things, how he, how he, um, how he designed things, it's immutable also. God's perspective on marriage. And Jesus himself had the same perspective. And this is one of the tactics of the enemy. And this is what he kind of uses, this, this separating Jesus, that Jesus had a different perspective than God. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's ludicrous to think that Jesus is separated in his ideology in his approach to sinful humanity than the Father. And that's what they try to push in this thing. And when you start looking at Colossians chapter, chapter 1, 15 through 19, he says he is the image of the invisible God, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things are, were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So when you start looking at the misuse of humanity, okay, that when you go, when you have all these unnatural passions and affections, the misuse of the human anatomy, guess what? You are going against what he designed for himself. And this is not good. This is why also in Colossians chapter 2, 8 and 9, 
Beware lest anyone cheat you through empty philosophies and deceit, according to traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. Everything flows through Christ. All your knowledge flows through Christ. This gay agenda doesn't flow through Christ. You didn't learn that in the church. You went to college. You went. You you had to go through the, the media. You had to go through all this. You didn't learn this stuff in church. You didn't learn this in Christ. You didn't learn this from your Bible. This is all extra biblical stuff and how you have to embrace and be kind and be nice and don't be cruel. This all comes from the culture. This is their idea of what a Christian should be. Not stern and firm in our beliefs. Not holding on to the truth of God's word. Watch this. Watch what he says this. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. So everything about God, everything about God was in Christ Jesus. He was the fullness of the God, the Godhead bodily. So in the body of Jesus was the Father and the Spirit. I and the Father are one, Jesus proclaims. It's, oh, Oh Israel, the Lord God is one. That's that that's the that's the mentality here. So don't try to separate. And who do you think in Genesis chapter 18 where 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 God God comes down in the Christophany and he comes down and he visits he visits Abraham. Read the story Genesis chapter 18 and then the two angels they they start gazing down towards I believe it's verse 16 where God says can I not hide anything from Abraham because I know that anything I tell him he will tell to his children that they may do and observe all that I tell him in other words um, God looked at uh, Jesus looked at Abraham in that instance and says man this is a father this this is a person that that will tell Whatever I say, he's going to teach his children that they must do, they must obey. He and though and as they were looking towards Sodom, because the whole thing was was looking going down to Sodom. That's why they came was to come and they happened to stop at Abraham's house. And what's funny about this was that Abraham begins to Abraham begins to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah at Genesis chapter eighteen. But when you look at Genesis chapter nineteen, that when they when when Lot was sitting at the gate, the same ones that Doctor Collins found, he found them. He he pulled them out as evidence, and Lot saw those angels. Guess what? Sodom and Gomorrah exposed exactly why God was going to destroy them. In fact, when when you look at when you look at the treachery, when you look at the abomination, when you look at the attack and the assault. Okay, Jesus was there. Jesus was throwing down. Jesus was right there throwing down on homosexuality. His again, he hasn't changed. You know, when you look at when you look at Leviticus, you know, when you look at Leviticus, you see the same mentality. You know, 1822 and 23. It says and you shall not let your children, your descendants pass through Moloch, which is the abortion clinics, which is abortion in the and the sanctity of life movement we have today. That we are restoring that. Don't you dare go, don't you dare murder your children. Don't give them to the God of Moloch. Nor shall you profane the name of God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie a male as with a whim. Again, he lays it down for you. Don't lay with another man like you would a woman. Again, these are these are his rules, his perspectives. Nor shall any woman stand with an animal to mate with him. It's perversion. That's exactly what Leviticus says. Leviticus 20:13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both them have committed abomination, something that is detestable, something that is a crime against humanity. Now listen, this is what's important for you and I to understand. He doesn't change. You you cannot separate Jesus from the perspective of homosexuality. You can't do that. And yet that's exactly what they're trying to do. That Jesus never mentioned it. Jesus never Jesus Jesus never said uh, that you shall not be a homosexual. See, so we we got to start learning that 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 if he doesn't change, neither do his perspectives change. And we know the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that. We have the evidence of that. You know, we, it's, it's nothing that, that we should, it's nothing that we should be uh, vacillating, going up, back and forth on. 
It's nothing that we should. It's nothing that we shouldn't. Um, we shouldn't be locking our our eyes on, and sitting there and saying, you know what? <laughs> this is what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah because of this sin. Now I know there's a lot. There's a lot of. Uh, People that they would say, well, they they God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because because of the lack of because of homosexuality. He did it because of of their lack of hospitality. They weren't taking they weren't taking care of the of the poor, and they weren't they were inhospitable, and they were they were now listen. Exodus 16, 48 through 50. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, immorality, and gone after strange flesh, sounds like Romans, no? Are set for, as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, of eternal fire. This is an eternal perspective. It's an internal perspective. If God changes his mind, then there's no eternal fire. It's There's temporal fire just specifically for them. No, this is eternal fire. This is God's complete perspective on Sodom and Gomorrah and those activities. Jeremiah 50, 40, and God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord. So no one shall reside there. Okay, nor son a man shall dwell in it. So when you start looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, again, you can't you you can come to no other conclusion that God's perspectives have not changed. The punishment is eternal. The fire is eternal. This this behavior is is under eternal damnation. Jude the little brother of Jesus says this, As Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities around them, in similar manner to these, have given themselves over to sexual, por- that word sexual immorality is pornos, ek pornos, ek porno. That means, that means anything that comes out of that pornography, anything that comes out of that, all the, all the deviance that comes out of that. Okay, that, that's what he's saying when, when Jude is saying sexual immorality. James uses sexual immorality, uses the same thing. Paul uses the same thing. Uh, Peter uses the same thing. It's all sexual immorality. That goes to show you the continuity of the Bible, that they use the ceremonial and they use the ceremonial and civic laws of the Torah all the way through, that sexual immorality was going to be judged. It was it was never accepted, and it's still not accepted today, except for this new Jesus that just showed up that doesn't care about the laws of God, doesn't care about the perspectives, doesn't care about the the, the Godhead, you know, that doesn't 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 lord over all these behaviors. He's just as God of love that lets you do whatever you want, live and let live. So little brother Jude comes out. He says, and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner to these, have having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set for an example. Listen, set for an example. What is the scriptures for? As as an as examples. Why? Because the rules still apply. The abomination still applies. The eternal fire still applies. That's why it's an example. You don't have an example if, if there's if the consequences aren't the same. Then that example don't apply. But Jude comes around, little brother of Jesus. He turns around. Sodom and Gomorrah was an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Same wording, same wording that we just heard from Ezekiel. There's this continual thought of Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew 10, 11 through 15. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, whatever city or town you enter in, he talks about the rejection of the gospel. Okay? He talks about the rejection of the gospel. He said, so when people reject the gospel, the moving away of God from their consciousness, the moving away of God from, from the, the natural knowledge, you know, of acknowledging that there is a creator. When they move away from that, it's going to be more tolerable for the, for the, for the, uh, for the, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day than for that city. So the rejection of God, the rejection of God. But see, Sodom and Gomorrah is still an example of damnation. It's still an example. You can't separate that. 
Why? Because God doesn't separate that. I am the Lord and I do not change. I am the Lord. I do not lie. I Again, when, once he sets something in motion, when you have the Ten Commandments, right? When you have the, the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Recommendations, you will have no other gods before me. <laughs> Boom. You will, you will make no other idols. You will not make the name of, of the Lord God eternal in vain. In other words, you won't say God is useless. His name is useless. His word is useless. And this is what they have done in progressive theology or liberal theology. They've, they've embraced humanistic ideas and they begin to take God's word and God's name in vain. It's a social construction that they're concerned about. It's it's humanistic behaviors that they're concerned about. They're concerned about the growth of their church, not the message from the pulpit that shapes Eli. Your message as a preacher should be separating the sheep from the goat. Your messages should be on fire, burning up the chaff and finding the wheat. Their messages should not be taking the name of the Lord in vain. Well, we're just preaching hot little topics on personal development. You know, we sound, you know, we, we sound more like motivation, motivational speakers than, than preachers. When we start losing, when we lose our perspectives, our biblical perspectives, and don't call balls, balls, and strikes, strikes. We begin to play the game and expand the zone. That's what many that's what many have done. That's what many have done in the church. We have begun to expand the zone of what a Christian is. Those that follow Christ, what it takes to follow Christ. He says, if any man who wants to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up the cross daily, and follow me. We have to get back to this fundamental perspective of what it is to follow Jesus. When you look at when you look at the first four, when you look at the first four laws that, that relate to us and God, or the first three that relates to us and God, then the fifth one, honoring your father and your mother, you will not kill, you will not commit adultery. That seventh one, that seventh one, you shall not commit adultery. That that solidifies marriage. That's the protection of marriage, right there, between a man and a woman. And and again. When you look at human relationships, it's different than marriage. Marriage between man and a woman. And Jesus points this out in his, in his uh, dialogue with the, um, with the Pharisees. When they try to question him. You know, Matthew, Matthew 19, 3 through 10. The Pharisees were testing him, saying, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? For just any reason, and he said, and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Boom. He solidifies, he solidifies what marriage is. He solidifies what the legitimate biblical relationship is: male and female. Now, Obama and, and Biden and, and whoever doesn't have jurisdiction on what marriage is. Now they have they can have same-sex relationships and they give them a certificate, but God doesn't view it as marriage. Marriage belongs to God. And this same-sex stuff, because it, you know, love is the highest form. Love is the greatest degree. And, and God would never deny a man and a woman from loving what they love the most because love is just love. Now, nah, now nah, stop it. We have to get biblical again. This is what Jesus says. He says, for this reason shall, shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I don't care if, if there's a if there's lesbian relationships and one is more one is more masculine and he becomes the male and that's the the, the effeminate one is the female. No, that, that's not it because they can never become one flesh. There, there's no differences to become one. See, and, and the greatest form of becoming one flesh is, is when you have a, a son or you have a daughter and you bring your 23 chromosomes, she brings her 23 chromosomes, and they those chromosomes mix together and they make a new flesh. They make one flesh. It's the coming together of the chromosomes that, that make the flesh. 
the one flesh. I could look at my son. I could look at my daughter and I could sit there and say, yeah, we made that. That's the one flesh. That's the one flesh that he's talking about. It's procreation. These LGBTQ communities, they can't. They can't procreate. Why? Because they're, 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 they're same. They're not heteros. They're, 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 it's strange. For he said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they can no longer be two but one. Therefore, you know, he's talking about procreation. He's talking about being one with each other. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. What God put together, let no man separate. We got men, we got, we got people trying to separate male from female forever now. Since the 1900s, they've been trying to get into the education. They're teaching this in schools now. Indiana has um, has has a monument built to to this perversion that males males and males and there's no difference between males and females and and all this. It's it's garbage. It's garbage. Matthew 22, 23, and 30 through 33. They asked Jesus about about the resurrection, right? And they asked about, they give him this, 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 this uh, riddle as if to trip Jesus up. And this is important because this is, this is how Jesus spoke against, against homosexuality. And, and, and by, uh, let me put this caveat, the great uh, Michael Brown in his book, uh, gay, Can You Be Gay and Be Saved? There's a great exposition, I, 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 and I want you to get these books that I, I put out there. Read and study. Look at that. Look at the information. Look at what the world has done. Look at what man, sinful man, has tried to put out there. Well, he, he says, trying to find homosexuality in in the in the in the Bible is like trying to trying to make sugar cookies in a sugar-free book. Look, you, you're not going to find it. It addresses it. But see, the Bible is written to heterosexuals. It's not written to homosexuals. And this is this is what they can't wrap their minds around. Because everybody, no, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For he who believes in him. Different thing. Not everybody, but for the world. The world has the opportunity to embrace him. You can't hug him the way you want to hug him. Embrace him the way you want to embrace him. You embrace him the way the Bible commands you to embrace him. Not recommends you embrace embrace it, but commands you to embrace it. So they they have these seven brothers and and the brother, the the one brother dies. This is Matthew 22, 23 to 33. And they're saying at the end of the resurrection, at the end, when they get to heaven, who's going to be the husband of this of this uh of these uh seven brothers you know of all these brothers listen to this listen to what jesus says verse 29 he says jesus answered and said to them okay because they're talking about they don't believe in the resurrection and they gave him they gave him this question of who's going to be the husband of this wife if they all had to, if they all had to, if all six brothers had to marry her, who's going to be the, who's going to be speak, who's going to speak to her in heaven, speak for her in heaven, who's responsible for her in heaven? Jesus answers, "You are mistaken. You are in error." I, don't you love how Jesus answers people? You're wrong. You know, when when you start looking at how our society and, and preachers start start looking at at uh, scriptures that are that are hard hitting towards the culture and the narrative of, of what's going on right now, they, they never say you're wrong. They say, "Oh, we need to talk about it." Or you have a different perspective. No, Jesus said this: "You are in error. You are in planeo." That's the Greek word for error or mistaken. And that word means to to be led astray. That you're you're in a desert looking for something that doesn't exist. You're chasing you're chasing philosophies and theories that are not grounded in truth. That's what he told them. You are you are mistaken. You are in error. Planeo. It says not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So when you start looking at marriage, husband and wife, when you start looking at, you are looking at the miracle, the procreation miracle that can only come through God's institution of man and woman, husband and wife. That's why in adultery, you know, you get that idea of wedlock because you're locked into wedding. And when you 
commit adultery, you unlock the wedding. That's when you have a baby before your marriage out of wedlock. There's no lock to you yet. And you did something that only people that are locked together can do. I thought I'd throw that in there for free. Okay, so the, Jesus answers this society, you're mistaking. See, we at the church got to start telling people, you're wrong and you're mistaking. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And we don't do that. We try this, oh yeah, I understand. I empathize with you. I sympathize with you. No, we got to get biblical again and hold our ground. We have to start tearing down arguments and stop being so wimpy about what we know is true because of their feelings, because of, oh, I, want, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want them to think less of God and God's love because I put, I put the truth where the truth needed to be put. You don't have to be mean and ugly, but you can't get off the truth. This is where, this is where this, this, this enough of this. You have no, you know, to, to make the Bible say something that you wanted to say is, is way too much work than actually doing the framework of theology and framing the scriptures and, and having the right framework in your, in your mind and, and in your soul about all things anthropos or all things man. If you want to find anything about man, you got to go through the Bible. That's what Jesus said. In the beginning, God made man and woman. Two shall become one. In the beginning, have you not read what Moses said? You know, these are important things to lock ourselves into. You know, the Godhead, you know, trying to separate Jesus, that he had nothing to say about, about homosexuality. He had everything to say about homosexuality, but not saying anything. Sometimes not saying anything about something, you're saying everything about it. He's not addressing, uh, 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 he's, the Bible doesn't address homosexuality. Or homosexuals, because it's not written to homosexuals. It's written to the heterosexual. It's a heterosexual book. It's God's pattern. It's God's plan. It's God's people. It's God's history. And and when you start looking at when you start looking at this 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 um, this emotion on how God looks at things, it doesn't change. Never has changed. And a lot of these again, you know, I can list a bunch of them. These these preachers that uh, that I no longer listen to some very famous preachers in the charismatic movement is because they have compromised in public. They have said things that are unbiblical so that they can not be canceled. They love their ministry more than they love the word of God. They idolize their pulpit. They've done those things and we cannot do that. If the world hates you, you're in good company because they hated him first. If they persecute you, it's because they persecuted him. The only way to get out of persecution today is to compromise, is to don't say it, is to back down. We're not backing down. Enough with this gay Christianity. All men must come to repentance. All men must, God's not, Acts, Acts says that, that God is no longer winking at our sin. He's not winking, giving it the, the wink and the nod. He's not doing that. He's demanding that all men come to repentance. And when I look at Romans chapters, um, I'll close here. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Okay. Um, and maybe I may read a little bit. Let's look at 24 first. Let's, let's go from 24. Okay. And, and well, let me, let me caveat this. Okay. Because, you know, we, we as Christians, we claim this scripture, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Right. First to the Jew, then to the Greek, right? We, we love that one, right? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if I'm going to live by faith, then I'm going to have to live unashamed. Episkinomai. Episkinomai. You know what that, you know, you know what he said, what he's saying? I'm not ashamed. That, that word episkinomai means that in the time and place when you speak out, you show your form, that you are deformed from their form. We are formed in Christ. And what Paul is saying is that I'm not episkinomai. I'm not ashamed of my form. I'm not ashamed of my the truth of God. I'm not ashamed of how God lays out the plan for humanity in salvation. I'm not ashamed of what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not ashamed of his perspective of homosexuality. I'm not ashamed of these things. 
I'm a different form. I'm formed in him. I'm formed after him. I'm formed through him. My aim is to be like Christ. And if you're not ashamed of that, then he unleashes. After he says, I'm in the form of Christ and I don't, I'm not embarrassed that I look different than them. I don't walk like them. I don't talk like them. I don't think like them. I don't, I don't worship like them. I do nothing like this world because I'm born again. I'm a different form. I'm a new creation. Never been created before, but I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not ashamed of my form. There's people that hide their Bibles. There's people that won't speak up because they're going to show their form. The undercover, undercover Christian. They won't say anything when when wrong's going to be done. When somebody in in, in in the midst, says something that that they know is untrue. Uh, we don't say nothing because we don't, you know, we don't want to confront. No, you're error and don't know the power of God. Uh, that's what Jesus said. You're planning. You're chasing a theory. You're you're chasing something. This whole homosexual gay agenda is been is been propagated. It's propaganda. It's lies. It's built on sand, and it's a. And it's a and it's a paper soldier when it comes to the gospel and the truth of God's word. Yes, there are sinful people. There's evil people that need a savior. And we all had to be washed in the blood, forgiven of sin. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But to twist God's word, to embrace perversion, and then put a cross on it and say it's good? No, 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 no. We don't do that. When I look at Romans, and in this last five minutes, I know I may have gone a little bit longer, but when I look at Romans and what Paul wrote about, I'm not ashamed, don't preach that. Don't, don't use that out of context unless you're willing to show your form, how you think, how, how, you, how, you, how you project Christ to the world. That's why when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? In other words, they all had ideas of, of who Jesus was and, and, and metaphors of what he may look like. Some of Elijah and, and John the Baptist and, they get, you know, the prophets and John, you know, they gave him all kinds of who do. And then Jesus looked at, at, at the disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? See, that's the only thing that matters. Who do you say that I am? Show me your form. Show me your form. Peter comes out, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus tell him? Ah, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. See, we're living on things that flesh and blood has told us. Not on revelation of God's word. Not on, not on stick to to the scriptures and the text. But what flesh and blood, we go to school and we get all confused because they want to they give you some theory on evolution. And, and uh, you, you go down the list of the, of the crazy stuff they, they're teaching kids in school now. You know, gender, how many genders and how many, stop it. That's the that that's planeo. That's getting on a that's getting on a donkey and going to the desert. But when you look at the text, look, look, look at verse twenty-four. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness to, in the lust of their hearts to dis, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. To dishonor their bodies among themselves. Again, this is God's perspective. He's saying they it, look. They're dishonoring their bodies. They're they're causing they're causing. Um, crime against humanity, against each other, the unnaturalness of going against what is instinctively correct. Watch this. He says, who exchanged the truth, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. For this reason, God gave them up for their vile passions, unholy passions. At the beginning, I gave you, I, I let in with Bodhi Bachman, great theologian, uh, great um, a social, social science expert. And he says, enough with this gay Christianity. These, these perverse passions, these pathos, these emotions. That's what it is passions, these emotions. I feel this way. Therefore, I, I'm going to act this way. I, I, I think this way. Therefore, I, I am. Yeah, no, no, no. Just because you think you're a girl and you're, look at your body. Your body has the, the physical things of a man. You're a man. 
Now you may be confused. And anytime you get confused, look at your body. The building will tell you exactly what you are what you are. Don't get confused. Don't deny your reality with feelings and emotions. That's what they've done. Unholy emotions. Watch this. He says, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. They use, they misuse the physical. They misuse their bodies instinctively. This is, this is, this is, this is God's perspective. He don't change. He don't change. I don't care how cute your pastor is, how many, how tight his jeans are and cute and how progressive he dresses and his, you know, they're preaching their little t-shirts and, and their little, little tight jeans and the little tennis shoes on and their cute little glasses and they prance around and, and they, they try to make so, sociological sense. If they're not biblical, it doesn't matter. It's theory. They're giving you theory. These, these are propagandists to try to make the Bible say and try to make you embrace what the Bible never wants you to embrace. Watch what he says here. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what, what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. See, sin, there's there, there, there's there's a due time for everything. There's a due time. There was a due time for Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you understand if you read Act, uh, Genesis chapter 19 that it was it was the males and the little boys. They had pederasty, pedophilia in Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 19. This is what was going on then and this is what's going on now. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, enough with this gay Christianity. I'm not saying that these people, these that, that suffer from same-sex attraction and all these things, but there's deliverance for them in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Read the whole thing where Paul says, don't think so highly of yourself. Because some of you were just like them, but you were washed in the blood. You were justified. You were sanctified. And you were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the process. And we need to pursue that. We need to keep holiness, holiness, righteousness, righteousness. We need to bring all this language right back to the forefront of our preaching again. Because we must put an end to this argument to the knowledge of God, to embrace things that have always been biblically unholy, to appease the unholy. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. I pray you enjoy this podcast. You think about it. You listen to it. You you check the references and definitely get this book on um, from Dr. Stephen Collins on discovering Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's an amazing book. Um, I'll, I'll probably podcast on some of the things I find out of it uh, at a later time. But uh, again, I just wanted to say hello. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, uh, you can leave comments. You can uh, you can review the show, you know, the podcast and, and uh, leave a review. But anyway, God bless you. Until I have the opportunity to speak to you again, enough with gay Christianity. God bless you and bye bye.